Welcome. This is Vanderbilt Business. I'm Eric Johnson here at the Owen Graduate School of Management. I'm here today with Rich Postler. Rich is Vice President of P&G's HR Global Business Services and Global IT Group. And uh, he's been here with us uh, this week as part of our Leadership in Residence program. And it's right. really been great to have you here sure. uh, spending Pleasure. time with students. And, you know, Rich, now that it's wrapping up, what's your impression been like? You've been talking to students, lots of different conversations. What are some of the themes and things you've been talking about? Um, first and foremost, I, uh, I like the design of this idea um, because what we did is we planned to do a number of things. We planned for me to share perspective on a topic that was relevant to them and relevant to the education they're, they're trying to develop here. And then I also used the second large group setting to actually help them help me shape things that we're working on at Proctor because I don't have all the answers. And I'd lo- I wanted to get their perspective as well. Mm-hmm. And you marry that with the one-to-ones, we could then tailor the conversation to what they had on their mind. Um, the students were totally present. They were engaged. They came in with different perspectives based on where they were in their life journey, but also in their educational journey and their experience journey. One gentleman was still just got here and was figuring out, where do I, where do I really want to concentrate? One person had already done a job very similar to what they want to do when they leave Owen. So it was great to kind of tailor the questions, and they also asked me personal questions about my journey and also about Procter & Gamble. That's great. Yeah. So that, that kind of one-on-one time sounds like that's really key to the program, that the fact that you can interact with individuals here. Yes, because I told them I'm here to meet their needs, not the other way around. And it, there were only 20 minutes, and we had it was hard to get uh, those conversations into a 20-minute uh, time frame. Yeah. And it was also great to meet the um, MBA students that are doing the executive program because they had a whole different set of life experiences and they were, had some other thoughts about since they're working currently. But I think those one-on-one things gave the students an opportunity to both demonstrate what they wanted to, to share with me, but also get the learning that they probably wanted. That's great. Yeah, we're really excited about the program and glad you could be one of the early participants. Yeah, I hear, I hear I'm number two, so yeah. I hope I didn't uh, learn together. I hope it went okay. I don't know yet. But. We're learning together. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about your career. I mean, you're an HR leader in, right. in your organization. What kind of work does your department handle? Um, t- so I've been with Proctor for 31 years. My current response, and my responsibility has changed over the years. I've worked in most of the parts of the corporation with the exception of our manufacturing organization. Today, I am the HR leader for a, roughly a 5,000, 6,000 person organization that's totally global. The easy one to understand is our global information technology organization. Um, the interesting thing about that group is they're in the midst of a complete digitization of our business. Wow. With the rapid pace of technology, uh, the rapid risk profile of things like information security, by the way, um, it is a really emerging and fast-moving part of our company. That I will tell you, four or five years ago, we always had it, but it wasn't at as strategic as it has been today and moving at the pace. So it's really a change management exercise uh, that we're, we're working through. So I work for the CIO in, in that piece of work. I can imagine the, 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 the skills needed, the, the, the development that you need to undertake is substantial at the human capital level. Right? Yeah, and I'll tell you, we have a unique challenge, and this is um, a broad comment I would make. Uh, in 1999, I worked with um, an executive back then. We made the business decision with the board to actually outsource all of our information technology. We gave it all to big partners like SAP, HP, etc. So call that 15 years ago. So what's happened is the IT professionals we hired that understood all those technologies over the last 10 or 15 years had developed a whole new set of skills primarily around 
vendor management, project management, um, IT commercialization. What I need now are people who actually understand what is core IT. Mm -hmm. So we're having to reinvest in a whole generation of talent to help them understand if you're going to go into the marketplace with Silicon Valley companies, you need to know what you're talking about. You've got to have a base technical knowledge. You've got to know what competitive pricing is, what it's not. And there's so many emerging technologies that many of these people don't even know what they are. So we're in a total rebuild. Uh, we recently brought in a, uh, a new CIO to help us with that. This gentleman uh, worked for Coca-Cola. He uh, is actually, we're actually bringing in a handful of experienced hires to help accelerate our ability to do it. I can't wait. Um, the pace of change is so great. I need to hire a handful of people because we're a build from within company that will help us accelerate our business to actually grow the overall P&G business. So that, that part is really uh, a unique challenge that we uh, haven't had before. The uh, shared services side of our business is really about all of the operational systems, processes, and services that run P&G. It is a microcosm of the enterprise. Everything from finance services to HR services to consumer services to customer services like um, selling uh, technologies with, uh, with retail trade customers. Um, it's a myriad of services that are truly global. We follow 24 by 7, follow the Sun model, and uh, we have major hubs around the world where we do a lot of that work. So you've had this amazing long career at P&G. That means I'm and, old, yes. And, and, and you're talking uh, this week to... Uh, Lots of folks who are starting in as HR yes. professionals. Uh, what advice do you have for them in terms of building an arc of a career that will end them in a place where you're at today? Um, I, we, a couple of people asked that question or something very similar to it. I think there's um, an opportunity for folks to think about what experiences will help build their portfolio of learning and impact. Some HR professionals at Proctor go deep in a one specific area. And that's very helpful to people like me who really is a generalist because I don't have that deep technical mastery in an area such as labor relations or comp and ben. And some people are passionate about that and that's great. But what I've asked them to think about is as they're here and as they're learning to really leverage experiences both here but also in the workplace to help them grow and understand both the theoretical but also the practical. Mm. Um, there's nothing like doing, in my view, and doing it in different contexts. So in, over my career, I've worked with the sales organization, the research and de development organization. I was the HR head of a PL. I've done nine MA transactions. I've got this shared services thing, which is very unique. And I did a couple corporate stents with a C suite. All of that builds a, a yeah. portfolio and a reputation, by the way, yeah. that demonstrates that I was a general manager on a joint venture, actually, as well. So, and that doesn't happen to everybody, but I think being willing to accept some of those opportunities, I said no to two or three assignments that in hindsight they had to pry me out of yeah. because I thought it was something that it wasn't. But I talked to people about having mentors and partners and sponsors and coaches that can recommend those discontinuous experiences. And I was honest, I said, I turned down my, my Latin America um, international assignment like four times. And finally, one boss said to me, you don't seem to understand what you're doing. You need to know how the international operation is run if you're going to make a bigger impact on our strategies, on our people, and on our consumers. It was the best assignment I ever had, but I didn't know it at the time. So I've asked them to kind of keep an open mind about what they're learning, how they're learning it, how they're learning it um, and be present. Um, I do worry sometimes that technology takes people... Um, a little out of focus and you know when you're in an experience that's important I've asked people to please be present and um, and everyone was great I mean they all responded very well that's fantastic well let's talk a little bit about the future yes uh, you've been uh, talking to the students a little bit yesterday about yes. workforce 25 
2025. Wow, it's, it's hard for me to even say that, right? It's just not that far right. off, really, right? Um, the workforce will look different then. And, you know, how will it look different? Yeah, um, one of the things I've been exploring on behalf of P&G, and it came out of a, a visit I did make actually to Silicon Valley, is the concept of the, uh, the gig economy and the way the work is going to change. Primarily enabled by technology, but not exclusively. And so one of the things that I'm doing for the company is how do we think about and anticipate what's going to have to be different or what will be different at the enterprise level that we're going to have to deal with. I, I, I told the students, I don't want to be on the bleeding edge, but I want to be on the leading edge. Mm-hmm. Whether you're talking technology, such as robotics, artificial intelligence, you're talking the workforce dynamics and demographics. Soon we're going to have four generations of people in the workplace. They're going to want to work differently. Right now, about 10,000 baby boomers leave the workforce every day. The problem with that is those people will probably live to close to 100, so they're going to have to think about their work very differently, so that generation will need to work differently. Um, managers of others will have to manage, in my view, three different types of talent in the future. One is talent we build internally, and we always have done that. We've done that pretty well. We're going to continue to buy talent where it's right to do it, whether it's through an organization or through individuals. And then an emerging thing for me in in this economy is the borrowing of talent. Um, You can call us independent contractors, freelancers, people are in their second or third careers. And in the first one, I'm actually building skills and employees. In the second one, I'm buying people for roles and responsibilities. In the third one, it's not about the people. It's about the skills and capabilities they bring for a problem I'm trying to solve. And it might be a very rapid problem I'm trying to solve. But if you can manage an organization that has that different component, think of it as a matrix of generation and different types of work, managers are going to have to behave and lead very, very Mm, differently. That's what I was thinking. What does this mean for leaders? Wow. Well, it's going to be a big challenge. And, you know, I've spent, I've been in a number of places where people ask me to talk about this because I spent a lot of time thinking about it. But most major corporations do not know how to think about this at the enterprise level. And I think this will be an enterprise challenge for people to have to deal with this. Everything from, Where do people work? How do they work? People want to work flexibly. Some people don't want to live in a a small town. It's Cincinnati, Ohio. It's not attractive. But I want the A team, not the B team. So I'm going to have to adjust some of my well-held beliefs, policies, approaches. If I want the best people to be competitive in the marketplace, I'm going to have to do work differently. I'm going to have to behave differently. The joke I told the students is when I grew up, it was... um, a sin to spell the word proctor with an O, because proctor is actually spelled with an E. Well, in today's world where I could be working with somebody in Cincinnati, somebody in Geneva who's a contractor, and somebody in China for who's going to work for me for 30 days, and they spell proctor with an O, I have to get okay with that. Why would they know the <laughs> difference, right? Yeah. they got to get used to it. So I, I think there will be trends across demographics, innovation, leadership and management, and obviously technology. Yeah. So that's the future, but it sounds like a lot of that's happening even now, right? Is it, yes. Where, where do you see some of those uh, occurring today? It's clearly the experimentation has happened in places like Jerusalem and Silicon Valley. I think people are, a popular thing to talk about now is AI, machine learning, robotics. That's not all going to happen overnight, though. Um, I think bringing visibility to it, to, to big companies like Procter, I think is smart. A lot of our competitors are already playing in this space. Um, many of our customers are playing in this space. What I used the students yesterday to do was I shared with them kind of a, uh, 
a thesis and some ideas about trends that are coming. They all may not come, and they may not come at the same time, but I ask them, you know, what advice would they give me? Because I want to use their advice. I don't want it to be a one-way conversation. What would you tell big institutions that are having to deal with this? You, are, you live in some of this today. And then I said, how are you going to equip yourselves to be prepared? Because by the time you're in the workforce, many of these things may be here. And so it was a great dialogue to, to think about kind of both sides of that equation. Well, certainly for leaders, uh, you know, they're thinking about the skill set they're going to need to be successful. Correct. We're talking about that. Um, what are some things that you're advising your leadership to prepare for that? And maybe on the flip side, are there are there things that they need to stop doing or watch out? You know, this could really impede your your ability to lead in the future. Yeah, on the first part. Clearly, there needs to be a base level of digital skills and digital capabilities in order to operate in the going future. That's going to be a given. Some people are better at that than others. Some people haven't embraced it at all beyond their respective telephones. But the way work gets done will be digitized, Um, whether it's branding, whether it's selling, whether it's manufacturing. A lot of manufacturers are already digitized as it is. If you talk to R&D people, they think about modeling, they think about artificial intelligence and machine learning as the way to actually conceptualize new consumer brands, not sitting in labs anymore. Um, People have to, again, think differently about that. I think our managers of others, and depending on how senior they are, are really going to have to think about managing a very diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. People talk about the world being global now. I think people haven't even seen global yet because the way people work is going to be very different. They're going to want to work where they are where their families are, and I think we have to be open to that. And I think we're a 180-year-old company. We were a build-from-within company. The thought that we would buy a CIO just blew people's minds away because these beliefs have been held for people like me for for 25 or 30 years. I think the best and the brightest will have open minds. I think leaders um, will be given the chance to change, to adapt, to grow. I think some leaders may not make it candidly because they won't want to. But I only see a bright future. I also was telling the students, what I'm seeing from a value standpoint is, so many people talked over the last few years about cost and productivity. I think all the indicators as we look at all these trends going forward is that speed will make or break a business. First to market, first to a consumer base, first to a technology, where it's strategic, not because it happens to be out there, it's not a shiny penny. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, I believe is the person who said, a done is better than perfect. That to, that to me suggests the mindset is perfection isn't everything. Failure is okay, and getting it done and moving and getting on to the next thing that you want to prototype is actually where the value is going to come. I think quality, cost, and speed are critical. I see this emergence of speed because the, the world is getting so much smaller, so much faster, enabled by technology, that if we don't, again, don't want to be on the bleeding edge, but I do want to be on the leading edge. So what advice do you have for me as a leader of a world-class business school and thinking about preparing students for this environment, uh, setting them up for success. What, uh, what do they need and, and how can we help them get there? Um, it's a great question. I would ask them to get exposure to these trends. I don't know if you guys have access to it, but um, you know we take our senior management team to Silicon Valley every year. Sure. Sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not. Yeah. But to see how fast technology is changing and experiencing it, I think goes a long way in opening people's mind and bringing the realization that this is the reality. So whatever you could do to continue to encourage people to get those experiences, to touch those experiences, 
um, I think would be very helpful because then it becomes less about theory and more about a reality. Uh, I think having the dialogue, I think they appreciate the dialogue because we covered everything from labor topics to technology topics to what does it mean to innovate in a digital world. And so it was a very multidimensional experience. Um, I was talking to your marketers today and I asked them, you guys should go talk to the, 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 the group that's doing innovation right now because things are interdependent. So whatever you could do to give the students the experience and perspectives from people, not just mine, but from other people that might be seeing some of these things, I think would be very helpful to them. It brings a level of pragmatism and reality that and brings the outside in. That's great, Rich. Thanks so much for the encouragement. I mean, I know certainly at Vanderbilt, uh, we really think about that a lot. I personally lead a tech trek where I oh, there you go. the students every winter out to Silicon Valley and up to Seattle. Perfect. And, and uh, diversity and inclusion is another area we've been spending a lot of time. We've got 36 countries in the building this year, and uh, right at the beginning of class, we spent a lot of time thinking about the opportunity that presents our students to learn no th- these, these skills you're talking about, managing in global diverse environments. So. Yeah, that's interesting, and we uh, talked about this today because I was telling on one individual, we were talking about this diversity opportunity they have here at Vanderbilt, and I said, you know, the other diverse, diversity and inclusion challenge you ought to also think about is how are you going to work with, ultimately lead, in a multi-generational workforce. That is about as much about diversity and getting work done and how people work, because every one of those generations were successful. They did things differently. Things changed and they adapted. So how do you actually lead in that context? Because it truly is an example of diversity in my view. Well, Rich, thanks so much for spending the week with us here at Vanderbilt. Absolutely a pleasure, and if uh, Procter & Gamble of help, happy to do it. Thanks to Eric and Rich for their time this week, and thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to This is Vanderbilt Business or give us a review on the channel of your choice. You can find more stories and information about Owen by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Vanderbilt University or the Vanderbilt Owen Graduate School of Management. Music provided by Mike Foster. I'm Nate Luce.